0: And, and Hannah in and the worship team. Haven't you been appreciating the last couple weeks with uh, Jeremiah and Hannah leading worship with us? So, uh, with all the hectic trying to get ready this morning, because everything takes me about three times as long to do, and I had to, as sick as my wife was, I had to have her help me button my shirts and to put my tie on. Um, so I forgot my, my sermon notes are sitting on the table, <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. So, so this week, our Haftarah was from 1 Kings 18, in which we encounter the situations of the prophets of Baal with uh, Eliyahu, right? Sorry, let me find it. And then, I'm a guy, I can't do two things at once. <laughs> so, sorry, I should have been ready for this. Usually, I have my notes in exactly where I need to flip to open to. So, um, anyway, it's, so it's First Kings 18. I was looking for the Anyway, um, so 1 Kings 18, it begins, it was the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, the Chizkiyahu. Oh, I'm in 2 Kings, sorry. 1 Kings 18. Uh, So a long time had passed. Then in the third year, the word of Adonai came to Eliyahu, go and present yourself to Achav, and I will send rain down on the land. When Eliyahu went to present himself to Achav, the famine in Shomron had become severe, and Ahav called Ovadia, who was in charge of the palace. Now, Ovadya greatly revered Adonai. For example, when Jezebel was murdering Adonai's prophets, Ovadya took a hundred prophets and hid them in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And Echav said to Ovadia, go throughout the land and check all of the springs and wadis. Maybe we can find grass somewhere so that we can keep the horses and mules alive and not lose all the animals. So they divided between them the territory to be visited. And Echav went one way by himself and Ovadia went another way by himself. So that's how this passage in 1 Kings 18 is introduced We're introduced to this king of Israel called Ahav, right? Ahab, Ahav, the son of Omri. Now, when we're originally introduced to Ahav, we are told that he was the most wicked king that Israel had ever known. This is what he's known for, of being the most wicked king that Israel had ever known. Now, remember when this story opens up with Ahav, it had been about 134, 135 years since King David had died. Remember that in the history of the kings of Israel, it went something like this. (laughs) It went up and then it went down for a long time. So the climax of the kings of Israel are, of course, King David, right? Around the year 1000 BCE, and... With King David, his son, King Solomon, Shlomo, expanded the kingdom even more, and he's the one who built the temple, right? But that greatness of Israel as a kingdom did not last long, and why? Because we couldn't get along. The children of Shlomo started fighting one another, and it divided the kingdom. The kingdom became two separate kingdoms. So, Usually throughout the Bible, when we say Israel or Judah, we mean the same thing, except during this period of time. So during this period of time, when we say Israel, we mean the northern tribes of the Jewish people. And when we say Judah, then we mean the southern tribes. So they became two different kingdoms, and they even fought one another. So this is Israelites fighting other Israelites. It was a horrible time. And also, not only do you have war between the tribes of Israel, but you also have the rise of the Assyrian Empire that was threatening the existence of both of these kingdoms, of Judah and Israel. But Israel was the most threatened by this, at least at this point. And so what did they do? Ahav, in order to strengthen his reign, he went and he formed an alliance with the Sidonians, which is another name for... Uh, the people of Lebanon, of Lebanon, and the this was the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians lived in, in what is today modern-day Lebanon. And so Ahav forms an alliance with the king of Phoenicia, and he does that by marrying his daughter Jezebel. Now, you have to understand, very similar to like most places in the ancient world, that the king of an ancient kingdom was also the chief religious figure, right? And so the name of the king of Phoenicia that Ahav builds an alliance with is Et Baal, basically means of Baal. Baal is one of the primary Canaanite deities. And what is the connection, does anybody know, between the story of the golden calf why a calf? Of all things the Jewish people could have built in the wilderness, why a calf? Most people have no idea. It was just random. Like, they could have been a zebra, right? Or a giraffe. Or the, right? the golden rabbit, right? So new? Why? why a ga- a? So why did the Israelites build the... No, no, no. The, why did the Israelites build the Ark of the Covenant? What, did, what was the Ark? It wasn't just a box with... It was a symbol of what? It was a, the throne. The reason why it's there is it's the throne in which a de- the deity, meaning God, sits on, right? It's the mercy seat is one of the names that it's called. And whenever you see often in the ancient Near East palaces, you always have the throne, and then around it are these huge... Keruvim, these angels who guard the throne. And so the angels there form you know, the guardians of the seat in which God is supposed to, it's the representation of the throne in which God sits on. So the reason why, when we were in the desert, we built a calf is because the chief deity, Baal, rides on a cow in a lot of the depictions of Baal. And so it's like building a throne. You're representing the deity of Baal by building his throne, and that's why. And so in the ancient Near East, you see statues all the time of a cow, and then the deity Baal riding on the cow. And so by building, the, by building this golden calf was now acknowledging that it is Baal who is the one. Remember, behold, this is your God who brought you out of the land of Israel. And what a slap in the face this was to God, and this is why the punishment is so severe, because how did the Ten Commandments begin? At least according to the Jewish counting. Anochi Adonai, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. During Pesach, we often say that it wasn't by an angel, right? It wasn't by a seraph. It was by the hand of God that we were delivered from Egypt. And by the God, we mean no other gods but... Adonai. And so when Ahav formed this alliance with Et Baal, he married his daughter Jezebel, who was bad news. And why was she bad news? Because she was raised steeped in the religion of the worship of Baal, and Baal's wife, his counterpart, which is Asherah. Asherah, and there are different names, Ishtar, Ashtarte, uh, that she is known by, Uh, The Asherah was the chief fertility goddess in the ancient Near East. And so Jezebel comes in and very quickly establishes the worship of Baal in the northern kingdom of Israel. She builds a temple to Baal and Asherah right next to the palace, she brings in hundreds of priests and temple prostitutes from Phoenicia in order to establish the worship of Baal and Asherah in Israel. And as though that wasn't enough, she reviled the worship of Adonai. And not only did she do everything she could to forbid the worship of God, but She even attacked and killed the prophets of God to the point where it says Ovadia, who was one of the faithful servants who still worshiped the Lord God of Israel, that he worked in the palace and he was able to hide a hundred of the remaining prophets in a cave. Now there was one guy who was a prophet who was a huge nudge (laughs) to Jezebel and Echav. And who is that? Eliyahu, Elijah, so much so that he was such a huge problem for them that when he goes to Ahav, it says in verse 20. Uh, let me back up to verse 16. So Avadia went and found Achav and told them, and Ahav went to meet Eliyahu. When Ahav saw Eliyahu, Ahav said to him, Is it really you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I haven't troubled Israel. You have. You and your father's house by abandoning Adonai's mitzvot and following the Baalim. Now order all Israel to assemble before me on Mount Carmel, along with the 450 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And now we're going to get into the passage that Josiah read for us. In which Jehovah sent word to all of the people of Israel, and they assembled the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now this was a huge issue because it's not only the hundreds of prophets of Baal and of Asherah, but all the people want to say, what's going on? What's the party? I want to see what's going on. And so all the people are assembled there to watch. And Eliyahu stepped forward before all of the people and said, how long are you going to jump back and forth between two positions? If Adonai is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. When I was preparing this morning, my actual notes, (laughs) which I don't have, I was so convicted of this. Like what kind of faith that Eliyahu had that he was not only willing to put a test before God, but do it in front of hundreds of people. That he was so convinced that God would answer that he doesn't even waver. He tells the people, why are you jumping between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. And if Baal is the true God, then follow him. Fine, whichever one is the true God, do whatever you want. And the people answered him, and the people answered him, not a word. Then Eliyahu said to the people, I, I alone am the only prophet of Adonai who is left. Well, Baal's prophet's number 450. Technically, there are another hundred, but we won't go there, right? <laughs> he's saying at least the one who's willing to go before everybody, he's the only one left, willing to like put his neck on the line. And he says, let them give us two young bulls and they can choose the bull they want for themselves. Then they, let, then they uh, then let him cut it in pieces and lay it on the, the wood, but put no fire on it. I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Adonai, and the God who answers with fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered, good idea, let's do it. <laughs> This is a fascinating story when you think about it. Then Eliyahu said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first, because you are meant because there are many of you. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire on it. They took the bowl that was given to them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us. But no voice was heard. And no one answered as they jumped around on the altar that they had made. And around noon, Eliyahu began ridiculing them. Shout louder. After all, he's a god, isn't he? Maybe he's daydreaming. In this version, it says he's on the potty. Some says relieving himself, (laughs) which is what it actually says in Hebrew. Perhaps he's sitting on the toilet and he can't hear you. People say that there's no humor in the Bible. There's actually so much humor (laughs) in the Bible. Or he's away on a trip. (laughs) He's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. Think about this. This is Eliyahu. It's like, after a while, this trash talk is starting to get on the nerves of all the the prophets of Baalim, right? He's like, come on, wake up your deity. What's the problem? So they shouted even louder and they slashed themselves with swords and knives as their custom was until blood gushed out all over them. By now it was afternoon and they went on ranting and raving until it was time for the evening offering. But no voice came and no one answered and no one paid attention. When they say no one, it's not the people they're talking about. There was no God to answer. At least their God wasn't there to answer. Then Eliyahu said to the people, Come here to me. All the people came to him. And he said about preparing the altar of Adonai. He took 12 stones. So he said about repairing the altar of Adonai that had been broken down. Eliahu took 12 stones in keeping with the number of the tribes of the sons of Yaakov, to whom the word of Adonai came, saying, "Your Your name is to be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of Adonai. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough for half a bushel of grain. He arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And they did it. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he said, and they did it a third time. He wants to make sure that the burning of this sacrifice and of the wood is an act of God right? So not only did he tell both sides, you're not supposed to light a fire, but he's wanting to make sure that not only is this fire going to be a divine miraculous occurrence, but he wants the altar soaked, right? It says that they put so much water here, by now the water was flowing around the altar and it filled the trench. There's so much water here that normally if they were trying to light the fire, it wouldn't light. Then when it came time for the offering of the evening offering, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, approached and said, Adonai, God of Avraham Yitzchak in Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. Hear me, Adonai, Hear me so that this people may know that you, Adonai, are God and, then, and that you are turning their hearts back to you. Then the fire of Adonai fell and it consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust. Can you imagine that? It didn't just consume the offering, it consumed even the stone. And it licked up the water in the trench. When all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Adonai is God. Adonai hu ha Elohim. It's what we say at the closing of Yom Kippur, right? Adonai hu ha Elohim. We say it seven times. Eli- Eliyahu said to him, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. And they seized them, and Eliyahu brought them down to Wadi Kishon, and he killed them there. This was a Im- temporary victory because it didn't last. Unfortunately, the people of Israel continued to worship the prophets of Baal, And right immediately after this, in chapter 19, Eliyahu goes and he runs for his life into the desert. And he reaches the lowest point in his life. After something that should have been a climax, and I'm sure it was, he then goes and he runs for his life and he thinks that God has abandoned him. But instead, God takes care of him and he feeds him miraculously in which he has this visitation of God, in which he says, I have been very zealous for Adonai Tzvaot, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, broken down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And he says, I'm the only one left. And God reminds him, nah, <laughs> there are others who also have not bowed down, bowed down to the Baalim. Earlier, that cry that Eliyahu sent out to the people, if Adonai is God, worship him. And if Baal is God, worship him. Earlier, Hal mentioned the book of Romans and Sha'ul. But I think, I'm sorry, it's not Romans. It's actually in Corinthians where Shaul writes about. Uh, <laughs> sorry, okay, never mind. Forget about, forget what Hal said. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, uh, Hal was right. I was wrong. It's not in Romans, it's in Corinthians in which he talks about kind of the idea of Chametz, right? A little bit of leavening can affect the entire lump of dough. The idea there is that. The reason why he is, that Eliyahu is fighting against this is because one single woman, Jezebel, along with Ahav, Ahab, the king of the northern tribes of Israel, they were able to completely change the course of the direction of the people of Israel. Rather than being one of the kings who it says is righteous before God, it says that nobody was as wicked as Ahav prior to him becoming king. And the little bit of chametz, the littlest tiny bit of leaven, ended up affecting all of the northern tribes of Israel to the point that they had to be gotten rid of. Not completely wiped out, but they were taken into exile by the, by the Assyrians. The littlest bit of sin in the life of the community can affect everything. And this is why... Eliyahu goes to great lengths to encourage the people to return to Adonai. Do not let even the littlest bit of sin enter into the community because it will drive you away from the presence of God. Today, God is beckoning the same thing to us. Why are you wavering between two opinions? If God is God, worship Him. God's desire is that we are either hot or we are cold. The rebuke of the congregation, I believe, of Laodicea is that, right, it's because you are neither hot nor cold, but because you are just lukewarm, you just dabble in your faith, and for that I spit you out. How many of you, whenever I say you, I mean me, also, how many of you are wavering between two opinions? If God is God, worship him, or if Baal is God, worship him. that same message that Eliyahu spoke out and that same warning of the community of Laodicea is the same one that goes out to us. I so wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I spit you out. God wants us to be on fire. God wants us to really be serving not only one another. Because remember, we just went through the letters of John. And one of the instructions of John, not in the letters, but in his gospel, is that they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. We not only need to be loving one another, but loving the world around us and bringing them closer to Hashem. This is what we have been put on this earth for. It's why we serve a good father and why he wants to for us to go deeper in our relationship with him and one another. This morning, I pray that we would really, really take on the warning of Eliyahu to not let ourselves become lukewarm, to really serve God, to serve one another, to prepare the world for the return of Mashiach. Because that's what we've been put on this earth to do to love God, to love one another. If you've been living a life that is lukewarm, if you've kind of let your commitments sort of slide a little bit, it happens to us all. We all have seasons. But it's time to make a commitment to come back. To not just dabble, but to be on fire. To really make a commitment to connect with God. To reconnect with God. To be delving in the words of Scripture. To let God speak to us and beckon to us and call us back. To be servants. Not only of servants of God, but servants of one another. So that together we can change the world. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King. Anachnu O'Havimotcha, we love you so much, God, and we pray that you would move within us today. That we would really hear your words. That it's time to make a choice between two opinions. We either serve you or we serve whatever else we want. God, I don't want to serve everything else. I want to serve you, and I pray that we would be a place, that Bethamunah would be a lighthouse in the midst of storms, in the midst of waves and chaos and darkness, that we would be that beacon of hope that people are able to see, a beacon of love, a beacon of mercy, of blessing, of an encouragement a place where those who are in bondage are set free, those who are sick are healed. Let us demonstrate our love for one another as a sign to the world that you truly are God and we are your followers. Bless us, our Father, all of us as one by the light of your countenance. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So please rise as we seal everything that God is doing within us today with the words of the Elenu.